You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, now available on the Umoja app. Um, I'm your host, Imrandar Amsi, and on this weekly talk show, we invite professionals and teenagers to take us through their journeys and give us advice. Uh, we took a break uh, for about two weeks, but now we are happy to be back. Um, and remember, if you have any questions for the panelists that we have on this show, um, you can always leave them on the Inspire app, or you can connect with them. And in, in today's case, you can connect with our speaker on LinkedIn, and the link is right there in the ticker. Um, so before we start, we wanted to mention a bit about the Inspire platform. Um, and this is a new question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community. Um, so as a rising professional, you can ask for advice from other professionals in our community. Um, and as a mentor, you can give advice to uh, future professionals and students who might be younger than you. So that's available via the Umoja app with an Umoja account, uh, which is free uh, on Android and iOS. So we hope you download that. We have some great mentors um, and we hope that you become a mentor as well. Um, and just one quick thing, we are able to share stories of inspiring professionals, students, and community organizations only because of the support of generous viewers and listeners like you. So we ask you to please consider supporting our show. Um, you can support at umojaoutreach.org slash donate or at the, uh, in the Umoja app, uh, you can click the donate option. Um, and again, every little bit does go a really long way in opening career doors for our youth and connecting our communities. So we thank you for that. Um, and now let's get on to today's speaker. Uh, so today uh, on, on the show, we have Brother Hussein Nakvi, um, and he is a third year student at the University of Waterloo. Um, as it says there, he's an aspiring physician. Um, he currently has publications on dementia, telemedicine, and the integrative healthcare system in Ontario. Um, he also has experience working with the Canadian government on multiple levels. Um, in roles that include health policy analysis, health research, um, health data, and system-level decision-making. So he'll talk to us more about that, I'm sure. Um, currently, uh, he is also working with a team of medical experts, students, and researchers uh, in designing new 3D medical technologies, which sounds uh, very cool. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. Um, and I hope that you will also, after the show, connect with him on, on LinkedIn, because his LinkedIn is right there in the ticker. So let's bring on... Brother Hussein, how are you, Ron? Slankum, how are Good. you? How are you? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing well. Um, we planned around a little bit of unexpected events, but thank you for you know still being here and and coming on the show. Certainly. Um, so I guess I, I did a little bit of an introduction already, uh, but there is definitely a lot <laughs> that you do. A lot of stuff you've done. A lot you've had a lot of co-op experiences. So just kind of talk a little bit about yourself. Um, who are you and how did you get interested in the field that you are in right now? Uh, well, to be fair, uh, I think um, as, as far as my interest in the field goes or as far as some of the work I do, I think a lot mm -hmm. of that has been supported primarily by um, some of the opportunities that I've had in school, um, which include right. co-op or which include, you know, counseling and support um, from my professors um, and, mm -hmm. and other people and my mentors um, in the university itself. Um, I think um, with any field, um, an interest particularly develops sort of the more you do it. Um, so for me, coming out of high school, I didn't really have much of an interest towards medicine. I didn't really have much of an interest towards anything. Oh, okay. um, I was very mm -hmm. undecided. Um, Got it. <laughs> and then, and then uh, later on, I'd say um, when I got to university, um, 
And when I interacted with people, when I interacted with professionals, when I interacted with like these professors, I saw that there was so much more to what medicine and what healthcare is than what we've traditionally um, drummed it up to be. Um, and from there, and um, sorry, sorry, what do you mean by that? Like I, I feel like a lot of people do say that, but but in your case, what what did you discover that was, I guess, more than your than you had initially thought? Well, normally when you think of a doctor, you think of someone who walks around in a medical clinic with a stethoscope around their neck and they're going and they're putting it on your heart and they're doing an examination. Yeah. Typically, that's what we think of doctors as. Um, yeah. And that's what we typically think the healthcare system does in general. But mm -hmm. in reality, there's so much more to it. Um, the vast majority of medical conditions and the vast majority of health conditions are actually determined outside of the clinic, not inside of it. Um, and, and that's where you have things such as health policy or economic policy and political policy and social policies that influence how various patients um, respond, not just to healthcare treatments, but also to the diseases um, that they're, you know, more vulnerable to, or the diseases that have a higher prevalence mm -hmm. in X, Y, or Z communities. Um, and, and on top of that, now in the 21st century, now we actually have so much more health data, we have health technology, right. we have health AI. Um, and there's mm -hmm. so much more that's really happening. Um, and I think uh, at the University of Waterloo, when I at least went in, um, and, and when I met a lot of these people, I, that's when I started to really understand that there's so much more to medicine that, than what traditionally right. meets the eye. Um, and I See, think mm -hmm. just getting that exposure and getting that broadening of like my perspective um, really supported um, my really, I think that's really what helped uh, curate my interest um, in this field altogether. Mm. Um, and then yeah. sort of the more you do it, the more you learn and the better you get and the more interest you right. get. Yeah, as with, you know, any fields, but so yeah. thank you for sharing that. Now, I know we were talking about this um, at some universities, you do have to declare your major um, or at least what what kind of thing you'll be studying as soon as you get there. Um, yeah. And I know you had mentioned that you were undecided. So how did you, I guess, work with that? How did you make the decision to say, OK, I'm, I'm going to do, um, you know, like I'm going to go on the pre-med path and I've decided that because it's pretty hard to change is what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, it, it is. It's very hard to change. Um, I mean, not that it's impossible, but it, you know, tax on a few sure. years. Um, yeah. For That's me, really, lot. I was undecided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. to be fair, I was sort of undecided. And then my parents sort of supported me. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, um, you're strong at biology. You're strong at chemistry. Just go into this. If you like it, mm. stick with it. If you don't, change it. Um, so, and, and I think coming out of high school for anyone, not just myself in particular, I think for a lot of people, there is a lot of um, ambiguity. There's a lot of indecisiveness as to what you want to do for the rest of your life, because it is a fairly big decision. Um, yeah. And I think then, you know, speaking to as many people as you can and understanding as many perspectives as you can really helps you better understand what it is that you want to do. Um, and I think in my case, that's exactly what happened. And then once you actually start doing something, you figure out, do I like it? Do I not like it? And then you can make your decision, you know, as to whether you want to continue, continue it. Um, then fortunately in my case, I ended up liking it. In fact, I fell in love. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Um, and I do it to this very day. Great. Um, now what, so like, what is your actual major? Because I know pre-med is not a major. Well, I'm doing health systems. Health systems. What is that? Yes. So basically um, it's sort of like a hybrid, you could say between health science and public health. Um, oh, so we okay. take a lot of like science courses, a lot of like human biochem courses, chemistry courses, biology courses. Um, and then that's like, you could say that's like 50% of our degree. And the other 50% is public yeah. health. 
So public health policies, oh, okay. uh, social determinants, epidemiology, health informatics, um, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. So it's really just Got a it. hybrid. Um, so I know some of our listeners, like they might have, they might be hearing a lot of these words for the first time. So could you give us, I guess, a little bit of a crash course into, um, I know you're specifically interested in health information technology, which is a part of both public health and medicine. So yes. what is public health? Uh, what is the difference between public health and medicine? And then what's uh, health IT? Well, med I mean, okay, so let's start in order. I'd say medicine yeah. um, is, let's say, you go into a clinic, you receive medical services, whether that's blood work, whether that's a diagnosis, whether that's a treatment from a medical practitioner, that's what medicine is. Public okay. health focuses yeah. on the structure. It focuses on the system of public health. So for example, mm -hmm. um, and public health largely focuses on what happens outside of a clinic. For example, um, one of the biggest issues we're seeing now with an aging population is, um, let's say, cardiac diseases. There's a lot of cardiac sure. diseases now, uh, particularly mm -hmm. with our aging populations. And one of the largest precursors to that is public health, is uh, obesity. So from a, from a medical point of view, if there's a person, if there's a patient who comes in with a cardiac issue, you do an ECG, you know, you do all of your testing, then you, you devise a treatment plan, you give them medicines, you give them exercises to do, you give them, you, give, you refer them to a specialist, that's medicine. Public health focuses on more so the, the whole system or the bigger picture. So public health would be like, okay, this person has a cardiac issue and they're obese. So why is that so? Has Does obesity have something to do with developing cardiovascular issues down the line? Okay, if it does, then how do we stop obesity? What are the social policies? What are the health policies mm -hmm. that we can implement? What's the cost of all of this? Um, so medicine focuses on the disease. Health, Public health focuses on sort of the bigger picture in a more broader perspective. Um, these are very complex terms um, it, because they're also used very interchangeably. So yeah. the definition of these terms varies from one person to the next. Um, mm. So if you ask someone else, they might give you a different definition. Um, and if you ask another person, they might give you another definition uh, because these terms are just so broad. And then health IT, again, just by the name, focus on the information aspect of healthcare. So, you know, health information as in patient demographics, patient medical conditions. We have electronic medical records. So some of the softwares that are used in clinics and hospitals Health IT also now is starting to incorporate a lot of AI, uh, where we're actually predicting um, diseases, where we're predicting ER admissions, where we're predicting medical conditions, predicting and projecting uh, hospital or clinical costs. Um, so there's a whole learning element to it too now, and a whole analysis element as well. Um, so these are three, I think, three key yes. um, themes now in for mm -hmm. any pre-med um, heading into medical school or any or anyone, I think, in the health sector um, itself, because they really do represent uh, the direction, I'd say, of where medicine's headed for the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think we'll definitely get back to talking more about the terms and what everything means and how it all connects. But just for, for this next question, tell us more about yourself. So what about your co-op experiences? I guess maybe it would be helpful for us to say what a co-op is, because I know that's something that's <laughs> fairly unique that Waterloo students that you have to do a co-op yeah. um, and tell us more about you like your the ones you've had specifically um so co-op in general is just you know like like it's sort of like an internship um that is sponsored by your university so your university has a platform mm -hmm. um they post and, and then employers come and they post jobs you apply via your your university to that job you get selected mm -hmm. and you go go to work 
Um, yeah. So it's basically, so at Waterloo, we have a four month uh, structure. So every four months um, you're doing a co-op. Other universities like uh, there's McMaster here, they have a they have an annual uh, thing going where you practice for 12 months straight. Uh, so it really varies by university to university, but at least for me in particular at Waterloo, I have four month co-ops. Um, mm -hmm. And the way it works really is I go for four months. Uh, a lot of times, or at least what happened to me is that the employers, they end up liking you and they're like, okay, can you come back for the next term? Um, so uh, at, at least for me, I did multiple terms at, um, at, at the same employer. Um, mm. But then the, I guess the flexibility and I'd say the good part of it is that you can choose to, to go to a different employer for your next co-op term. So it gives you that diversity um, with respect to experience. Yeah. So even so, like, even though you've declared a major, you can still kind of explore exactly what you want to do within that. You're not 100 percent. Yeah. As soon as you you're, you're not secluded okay. to anything. Yeah. 100%. OK, that makes sense. Um, and then like, what about your experiences specifically? Because I know you, you've had some really unique ones. Um, so initially, I started working for um, the, the region of Peel here. So this is the area that covers Mississauga, uh, Brampton and and uh, I'm completely blanking right now. Yeah, Mississauga and Brampton. I'm completely blanking. Um, so it's the region. Oh, sorry, Mississauga, Brampton oh, and Caledon. No, no, Caledon, oh. Caledon. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so there's about um, so there's about two and a half million residents um, across in, in that uh, across those three cities. I know I know for I know you must be thinking in the U.S. man that's nothing, but for us here that's a lot. Um, but anyway, um, so I was in the health policy and the health planning and the health performance uh, department. So I worked very closely with long-term care. I worked closely in planning uh, for health policies, and I worked a lot with uh, regional leadership, uh, particularly in the health sector. So a lot of the people who I worked with were um, either long-term care or paramedics, really. Um, so a lot of my projects really focused on improving care given to long-term care patients. Uh, and a lot of those patients obviously um, had dementia, uh, and, and, and they had multimorbidities such as uh, you know cardiovascular mm -hmm. diseases, diabetes, hypertension, and, and the list just goes on and on. Um, and then another part of my, uh, and, and one, another one of the cool projects I was able to work on was, uh, building a whole EMR system. So at the time, the region of Peel, I think uh -huh. across like 50 clinics was integrating the whole electronic solution. Um, yeah. uh, so I was able to work on the integration of that. And that was a really multifaceted project. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Then I came back for another term. Um, and this was basically when the pandemic started. Um, so like 2020 so March. Second no no sorry okay. and that was right, no, the pandemic started on my first term um mm. but the but the work was it's it was kind of weird so march 2020 was still my first term the pandemic started um mm -hmm. and after that i really can't recall what happened because things just went in the blur there was different <laughs> there were different things happening every day um because normally i can tell you what i was working on because it was it was project based we were assigned projects but yeah when the pandemic started things were just there, as issues popped up new things just kept on happening. So I remember mm. one of the things I worked on was PPE because you may remember when the pandemic started, there was a huge shortage of PPE, like masks Definitely. and everything. So mm -hmm. I worked all, a lot on that with long-term care. We worked a lot on the emergency protocols for staff um, because I think there were at least about a thousand employees across the region uh, who were directly impacted. Then we worked on uh, vaccination, vaccination projects. Um, and then I came back on my subsequent term um, and then I worked on a proposal to open an additional uh, respite care facility 
for uh, for patients. So respite care is basically a hybrid between long-term care and a hospital. Respite care is like a short-term stay, and you're getting basically the same treatment as you would in long-term care, but it's just for a shorter time span. Um, And it's normally used for patients in transition. Uh, So I I, I was able to lead like a whole policy and research group and, and, you know, planning and creating that 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 whole resonance so i really enjoy that um and then after that i went to a, a medical device manufacturing company so they basically oh, manufactured wow. uh, this is a, this is another term sorry yeah this is like another term third. yeah i'm i'm, I'm, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. um so this is another <laughs> okay. term um then um so they basically made uh, cardiac implants so they made uh, stents mm. they made homographs um, that would go into your heart after for some sort of surgery. Um, they made pacemakers and a lot of these things. Um, so over there, I, I worked closely with the medical director. I did a lot of medical research on how these graphs are made, on some of the patient outcomes, on surgical technique. And then I also helped devise some of, you know, the uh, the protocols for using those devices. Um, and then okay. I, and it was really, really cool stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I can't get too much into it because it's mm. confidentiality, but just really course, cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and then throughout this entire process, and even now I was working with, uh, I continue to work with um, a research group called Medical Makers. Um, so these mm-hmm. guys use 3D printed technology and other, um, and, and they use a lot of uh, machine learning and AI to, uh, for various projects to, Im- to improve health outcomes, not just here, but also in low resource settings. Um, so I can't speak too much about that either, unfortunately. Sure, um, no, of course. But I mean, that does sound really cool. The, the oh, mission. it's super cool because there's so many different yeah. softwares involved. Um, there's mm-hmm. so many different um, projects and there's so many different applications. Um, applications range from to like from like musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal disorders to brain disorders to cancers um, wow. to even so outer space. <laughs> um, there's so much oh. stuff that's happening. It's... And I think to be in healthcare in this at this moment is just a very, very exciting, um, exciting phenomenon. And then now, actually, next week I start um, my next co-op at CIHI, mm-hmm. so CIHI, the Canadian Institute of Health Informatics. It's a research and division wing that operates under Health Canada. Um, mm-hmm. So they do a lot of health research, a lot of data analysis, and a lot of the um, policy recommendations for the federal government. Um, So I can't speak to that because I haven't started. (laughs) But uh, I guess if you and I end up connecting later, I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Of course. Um, So that's a rundown of my co-op experiences and whatnot. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, those all sound incredible um, and and so cool. Um, Let's go a little bit more into the intersection of uh, health information technology and medicine. Um, Okay. Because I know you said it's it's an amazing time to be in this field right now. Um, yeah. How how do you think that health information technology connects to medicine, and and what kind of potential does it unlock in the future, or even in the I present? Think, uh, yeah, I think I think in the present certainly we have some some of the technologies we have, some of them we're developing, um, but I think for the future, um, particularly when you, when we integrate these um, into the systems we have there's there's a tremendous amount of applications so we have number one increased diagnostic capabilities we have increased uh screening efficiency we have more Mm -hmm. accurate treatment plan devisement we have a reduction in medication errors 
we have reduced visits to the ER, um, yeah. and, and and we have more accurate cost projections. So there's, so for example, I was reading about the Cleveland Clinic um, a little bit back, and they have their own. Um, sort of like an AI hypertension network. And what happens there is that um, they're actually able to predict when a patient who has to predict um, when they should follow up on a particular patient before their condition aggravates. And this is happening right now. Um, and then as for the future, we have, you know, mobile health technologies, we have uh, predictive data analytics, which a lot of hospitals are, I think, already implementing. And we also have um, enhanced uh, privacy and security laws, because I understand that that's a main concern for a lot of people. Um, and for the future, now there's a lot of investments that are being made into health security and, and health privacy um, that can alleviate some of the concerns that, that a lot of people have with respect to their uh, personal health information. Yeah, it's like it's definitely a balancing act um, in terms of how much patient information to protect while still having enough information to integrate everything um, and, yeah. and, and achieve yeah. greater efficiency. But I guess that's 100%. a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, how about you personally? How do you envision your future um, at the nexus of those two areas, um, even though they're very related? So like a doctor working in health IT, maybe you don't have like fully envisioned yet, but, but what yeah. kind of thing do you think you'd be doing? No, I I, I, th I think I think you absolutely um, you, you spoke it absolutely perfectly. Um, as a physician, I would, I would I'd want to be on the clinical aspects, but I would also want to be on the on the frontier of health technology, um, where I can operate in predicting, um, and, and where you can use machine learning and AI to predict um, health health events like health emergencies, health uh, like accurate and have more established, more accurate diagnosis, develop more enhanced and more. Um, effective treatment plans. Um, so yeah. I, I, I see myself as a mix of both in those in those mm -hmm. places because I'd really like to bring uh, the clinical to the technological, uh, connect uh, both of those avenues um, because I feel really um, at, at the rate at which our health technology is advancing um, and it's increasing accuracy. There's been some studies on I was reading I think on some cardio on some cardiology softwares um, where if you give an AI AI taught bot um, how to read uh, an ECG graph. It has a 94% um, accuracy. Cardiologists, uh, a sample of cardiologists <laughs> had an 89% accuracy. So it's actually more effective than cardiologists who've been reading graphs for more than 15 years of their life. And, and, and that's crazy. Um, not, yeah, to say that, <laughs> not to say that cardiologists are inferior or that technology is in, superior. Um, mm. It is a balancing act. Um, and I think that's why we need to further integrate um, both of these systems. Um, and, and now we even have telehealth, telemedicine. Um, uh, I would shamelessly plug one of the ventures I'm working on right now, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, but oh, if, you're, <laughs> let's say if you're a doctor in, in sitting in Canada, right? I'm sitting in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Let's say I'm a doctor. Um, I can mm -hmm. see a patient sitting in India right now. Just because. the way you and I are speaking. And now mm -hmm. there's there's global telemedicine laws that are coming out that can enable us to do that. We have telerobots where let's say, and this is, um, I, 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 my, I published a paper on this, which is just coming out um, mm -hmm. in the next few weeks. We have telerobotics. 
Um, if I'm sitting down here at my desk and I have a whole suite of controls in front of me, I can control a robot that can do minor surgical procedures on you sitting in, I don't know, you're in the U.S. somewhere. Yes, I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I can, yeah, and I can operate yeah. on you in Pennsylvania from here mm. through a robot. Mm -hmm. Right, this, That's a huge application. Right. And it's actually cheaper than, than in a hospital setting. And it's... That's great. I mean, yeah. That leaves so much for, I guess, for you to do. <laughs> yeah, You'll never I run mean, out of stuff. I think to for anyone going in the field, um, you have yeah. to do that. Because that's, that's, that, that's an, an amazing potential of the, of the technology that we have. And I think if you integrate um, your clinical ability with our rapidly, rapidly more intelligent technology... Um, there's a lot of great things that can be done. Hmm. That's great. I think, th I think that was a great answer. Um, and your passion is like extremely evident um, in what you're doing, um, yeah. which is a good segue to the, to the next point. Um, what do you think are some of the necessary skills uh, for someone who's looking at this? Maybe they're listening to their talk to this uh, show and they're realizing, Oh, this sounds extremely interesting uh, to me. Yeah. I guess, what are some of those skills although I, i'm sure you develop the skills during your program but what would you say to them um i'd say when it comes to hard skills um mm -hmm. they're very they're very very uh learnable um mm. uh in particular uh, or, or as far as technical skills so if you want to learn medicine yeah. go to med school <laughs> like um if you want to learn health, <laughs> take some health it courses learn python learn data mm -hmm. learn ai learn machine learning you want to choose a specialty in medicine, go to medical school, you know, work with a local doctor, go to a hospital, do some clinical research. I mean, these, these are all very learnable skills. I'd say the most important thing, um, particularly in the medical field, or if anyone's actually interested in, in medicine, is just having um, the discipline and mm. uh, the, the self-regulation to constantly um, push yourself because it is a, it is a difficult field. Um, and, it, and it is a field where there's a lot of competition and a field where there's a lot of um, a lot of potential. Um, so mm -hmm. obviously that requires you to learn as much as you can and also push yourself as much as you can. And I think if someone has that level of discipline and that le level of regulation, um, learning the skills is not the hard part. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, is it, I guess, do you do you have to do a lot outside of your courses? Like, do you really oh, yeah, have to be a better? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. I mean, your courses will only ever teach you so much, um, I'm, right. and and, that, and that's not. I'm not. I'm not talking down on any university, but no, it's just no. the, the way things are structured. Um, you right. have. There's to only so much time in in the course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's exactly right. Um, so there's and, and and we're living in the 21st century. I mean, that type of logic, you know, where I can only learn in school would have been applicable like 50 or 60 years ago. Now everything's online uh -huh. for a fraction of the cost. Um, yeah. So you can learn things online if you want to gain clinical experiences. Okay, reach out to a hospital, reach out to a researcher, reach out, reach out to X, Y, or Z person. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of opportunities available. Now, you might not necessarily be paid for all of them, but the experience is there. So it's really a lot about um, putting yourself out there and mm -hmm. trying to do as much as you can. Uh, but you uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you neglect school altogether, uh, particularly if, the, if you're looking to apply to medical school, you do need to have a good GPA. So you have to balance right. uh, what's yeah. in school and what's out of school. And yeah. So it's a balancing act. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, and so that brings us 
uh, pretty nicely to our last point. Unfortunately, we're out of time um, almost, but there is one question we always ask all our speakers. Um, what's your final piece of advice? And I think maybe in this case, because of the audience that we've been talking to, what's your final piece of advice for people who are maybe just about to graduate high school and looking to dive into this type of field? Um, just put yourself out there because um, there's so many ad different avenues in healthcare that you don't even know exist, um, that I don't even know exist. Um, mm. Just put yourself out there, do, uh, do different things, uh, try to learn as much as you can, speak to as many people as you can, um, and then you'll be able to figure out what you like, what you don't like, what you think is right, and what you think isn't. Um, and, and once you have that level of exposure, you'll make the decision that's right for you. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, thank you, uh, Brother Hussein, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, no, it was. And, thank you for having me, Imran. Um, of course, it was great speaking to you, and I, and I love some of the work you guys are doing. I think this is a great platform. So all the thank best. Thank you. you. Really appreciate it. And obviously, we couldn't do any of it without our speakers. So big thanks to you. Um, <laughs> and and um, oh, I think the ticker is right there. <laughs> Your LinkedIn. So yeah, the people, LinkedIn. I guess, yeah, want to reach cool. out to you. Yeah, please, guys. If anyone, if anyone uh, uh, watching this podcast or this interview, this talk show, um, if you guys want to reach out. You guys can message me on LinkedIn. I'm somewhat, I'm fairly active. So uh, I'll try my best to get back in time. Okay, great. Um, thank you and, and take care. Best of luck uh, with everything you do going forward. All right, thank you, Armand. You as well. All right. All right. Thanks. Inshallah. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you, our listeners, uh, for tuning in to the You Mentor Talk Show. Um, you can tune into the show next week again for another interview. Um, and remember, you can always catch our previous episodes uh, on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Umoja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.